0: Hi, you're listening to the RVC podcast, a ministry of River Valley Church in Fresno, California. Well, good morning, guys. Listen, if you would, um, if you have a Bible with you, turn in your Bible to Luke's Gospel, chapter twenty-four, and we are going to look at one of the resurrection passages this morning. And really, this is one of my favorite stories, one of my favorite passages about the resurrection and really the encounter of different people, different disciples along the journey as they really receive clarity of the significance or meaning of why Jesus went to the cross and the resurrection. You know, today, millions and millions of people around the world are celebrating the reality of the resurrection. Jesus rising from the dead really is the foundation of Christianity. Without the resurrection, there there is no life, there is no hope, there is no offer of salvation. And yet, Jesus did rise from the dead. And the message of the Gospels, it rests in that truth, the death and the resurrection of Jesus, that Jesus Christ is alive. You know, uh, today as we look at the first Easter, there certainly was a lot of confusion Uh, And when Christ showed up and, and revealed his risen state... It really did bring a lot of clarity about his mission to a group of very confused disciples. You think about the confusion about, you know, Christianity, the confusion about Jesus' birth and his resurrection, you know, celebrating Easter. For many of the years of my life, I grew up thinking that Easter was about really just finding that one egg my grandma hid that had about 10 bucks in it so that we could, you know, buy like two and a half, you know, tanks of gas. As you, you, you know, it's like a way back kind of a thing. And yet, there, there, there is lots of confusion about it. There's a group of Sunday school uh, kids that were asked a question by their teacher, and he said, "Hey, what is Easter about?" One kid said, "It's about you know uh, Easter egg hunts and you know finding eggs and getting candy." Another person said, "Easter is about you know dressing up and having an Easter hat and an Easter dress and going to brunch." And this guy thought, "Man, I'm failing at my job being a Sunday school teacher." And so another kid raised his hand and said, uh, "She said Easter is about Jesus Christ." dying on the cross and rising from the dead. And he thought, man, finally someone's getting it. And then she continued and she said, and if he sees his shadow, he goes back in the tomb for six more weeks of winter time." And that joke's as old as the dirt that we're standing on. But you see, like people were confused about it. I was there. Maybe even this morning you need a reminder or a refresher of like what it is that we are singing about, what it is that we are uh, uh, rejoicing about, what it is that we are celebrating this morning. And So I ask you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 24, and let's read together the first disciples coming into this re- realization, the clarity that they gained from finding out that Jesus was alive. It says in verse 1, But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb. Taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were there, frightened, they bowed their faces to the ground. The men said, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you, while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven disciples and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women who were with them who told these things to the apostles, but these words seemed to be like an idle tale, and they did not believe them, but Peter rose and ran to the tomb Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. What does this all mean? What is the significance of of Jesus' death and resurrection? Who is Jesus? Why did he have to die? I needed clarity as a young man. This world needs clarity, and certainly the disciples and those followers on that first Easter, they needed to have an understanding uh, of what it means, because confusion had set in. He died on the cross, and certainly he had told them ahead of time that he was going to rise from the dead, and yet it didn't sink in. You think about confusion. You think about uh, the, 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 the lack of clarity that we might have in life. It literally means to misunderstand a situation or to misunderstand the, fa- the facts. The death of Jesus left everyone in that state, completely misunderstanding the situation. You think back to the disciples, had spent three years with Jesus. The last three years had been remarkable. They walked with Jesus. They observed his miracles, right? They had, uh, that the Jesus made the blind to see, the lame to walk, the, the deaf to hear, and the, and the dead were raised uh, among them. And so they'd seen the power of Jesus. They heard his teachings about the kingdom of God, and yet he, he often talked about what happened three days earlier. He, he let them know ahead of time. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, and, and he will die on the cross, and he will be raised from the dead. And they still didn't understand. And they certainly didn't understand on this day. A week earlier, they had followed him into Jerusalem on that day that uh, the, the, the church celebrates Palm Sunday. It was Jesus who was being recognized by the crowds there in Jerusalem getting ready to celebrate the Passover, that this was the king, this was the Messiah. But their concept of a Messiah, their concept of of the the Christ was that he would actually come in and and he would rule and he would relieve the nation of Israel of Roman oppression. So when Jesus was betrayed and when he was arrested and when they heard about this trial that happened early in the morning and then they saw him being beaten and whipped and, and mocked and carrying a cross, across, you know, through the streets of Jerusalem to the, to the hill called Golgotha, and they watched him die, man, all hope was lost. You can imagine the confusion that had set in. And it certainly was there for that first group, the disciples and these women that had come to really give Jesus a proper burial. So we learned first the group that got clarity was the women at the tomb. They were the first to discover the reality of the resurrection. Now, they had seen, chapter 23 says, they watched where he was buried, and then they went back, and they honored God, and they kept the Sabbath, and they prepared some spices because they just felt like their dear Lord... This one that they had walked alongside and had been ministered to, he deserved a proper burial. They had no idea how they were going to get the tomb uh, unlocked and, you know, the stone rolled away. But when they showed up, they see that the stone was already rolled away. By the way, it wasn't to let Jesus out. It was to let us in so that we'd see that he is alive, to see and to believe. And so these women, they see these men in, you know, dazzling apparel, right? They had Clorox bleached their clothes. No, they were angels, and and uh, they said why do you seek the living among the dead he is not here he is risen <clears throat> and notice what their their statement to the to the women remember he told you that the son of man must be delivered must be crucified and on the third day rise you think about clarity that happened in this moment to them and to us as we read this scripture it's that, number one, clarity, it means this, that it was all planned by God. His death and resurrection, it had to happen. And God had set it in motion before the creation of the world. It wasn't an accident, which many people thought. Maybe the first time you watch the story of Jesus and you're like, man, that's the coolest guy. I wish I could be friends with him. Look at how he has that wavy blonde hair, you know. He looks like a surfer from Huntington Beach. That's not what he looked like, by the way. So all the movies that portray him like that. He's just like, what's up, brah? That's not how it was. And they see Jesus being misunderstood, and they see the plots, you know what I mean, to like, we got to kill this man. He's just like, oh no, I can't believe this is happening. God set it in motion, and there was a very good reason for God to plan the death of Jesus. These women ran back with the message of the angels, and yet nobody believed them, and yet their own scriptures. Centuries before, Isaiah pinned this in Isaiah 53, verse 10. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and to cause him grief, yet when his life was made an offering for sin. The first to see the resurrection of Jesus, the first to preach the message that he was alive, was Mary, was the women. You know, it's interesting about like when people say, Look, I don't know if I would believe that Jesus really rose from the dead. Well, there's lots of different things that would actually prove that he was risen. One is this, is that a woman's testimony during this time period would not be counted as something trustworthy in the court of law. Sorry, ladies. Why would they make it up and actually write in Scripture that a woman was the first to see Jesus if her testimony wouldn't be actually received? Unless it was true unless that's the way it happened. And I love that. The disciples, you know who are arguing like a week before, who is the best and who is the greatest, right? And 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 yet God says like, "Hey Mary, I want you to take that message to the apostles and let them know that Jesus is alive." Cuz that's exactly what happened. Then there was this group of other disciples. There was a group, you know, the apostles were all huddled up, scared. What might happen to them? The women just leave and go, listen, Jesus deserves better. They're the first to see his resurrected body. Here's some other group that needed some clarity. It was a group of guys, actually two dudes walking on the road seven miles away from Jerusalem. They were getting out of Dodge because they thought, well, gosh, if they kill Jesus, who's next? Peter. Because he was always talking, right? In verse 13, Luke goes on and says, That very day two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. He might have had like glasses, a little mustache, fake nose. I don't know how it happened, but they didn't recognize him in this moment. And Jesus said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they, and they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, A man who was a prophet, mighty indeed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up, to be condemned to death and crucified him. Notice this. But we had hoped that that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, besides all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said But him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses, that's the first five books of our Bible, beginning in Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, it says that he, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them, In all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So they drew near the village to which they were going, and he acted as if he was going farther. Like, well, hey, I'll see you guys later. But they urged him strongly, saying, Hey, stay with us, for it is evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread, and he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight, and they said to one another, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour, returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told them all that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. So these guys now get clarity. I love that Jesus comes to these guys because they were totally down in the dumps. They had uh, no hope. They even said that. We had hoped that this was the one to redeem Israel. They were completely broken people. And they had a lot of confusion about what had happened. And so Jesus arrives. Let me give you clarity of the significance or meaning of the cross and the resurrection. And what it means for humanity now. Today Jesus, I love that he comes right where we are in life. You might be here this morning kind of bummed out. Maybe life is disappointing to you. Uh, Maybe you're even bummed that you feel like God has actually not come through for you. Or maybe everything is good in your life right now. You're like, man, everything is fantastic in my life. But there's this lingering thought. One day, that stat, one out of every one person dies. Happy Easter, everybody. Like, man, what is up? And that day is fast approaching. You're like, you know what? I better find out what Jesus is all about Because people continue to tell me that it's impossible for me to actually spend eternity with God trying to do it on my own. And Jesus arrives. And he comes along and says, hey, fellas, what are you guys chatting about? And they're like, are you kidding? We're talking about the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth. And they described his life, his miracles, his teachings. That he's the greatest human to ever live in this world. They described how he was a friend of sinners. And he welcomed the outcasts, and he touched those who were the untouchable, and he loved the unlovable. And they're just like, he was the greatest. And then they describe in detail his arrest, his trial, his death sentence, his crucifixion, and his burial. And in verse 21, they said, we thought he was the Messiah, the promised one from God, but how could he die if he was the Messiah? Death wasn't in their plans. They didn't understand That yes, God planned it from the beginning of time. And something else that they learned, that that it was necessary for salvation. The testimony of the women, they said he's alive, but they couldn't believe it. And Jesus says, oh foolish ones, slow to believe scripture. The Messiah had to suffer. And so on their journey away from the empty tomb, on their journey away from Jerusalem and the other disciples, Jesus takes them on a journey through the Bible. And begins to point out things. Like over here Moses said this. I will raise up a prophet like uh, a man. And you're to listen to him. And over in Isaiah, this, this promises in Isaiah 53 that, that God is going to lay upon this one, the suffering servant, the iniquity, the sin of the entire world. And over in Psalm 22 it describes literally centuries before the means of the cross as a form of execution was ever invented. David describes almost completely the scene at what happened at the cross. And they began to see and their eyes began to open. They even confirmed that their hearts were burning when Jesus was opening God's word to them. And he says, oh foolish ones. And Jesus explained the passages that concerned the Messiah and why he had to die. I mentioned Isaiah 53. Let me read verse five and six for you. Isaiah said this, but he was pierced for our rebellion. His, these nails that went through his wrists. And he was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. He says, all of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord has laid on him the sins of us all. You know what that means? Translation is that we're like sheep is what Isaiah calls us. And uh, what I'm learning is that sheep are the dumbest animals ever. (laughs) So it makes a little bit of sense, right? You're like, I'm like a golden doodle. No, you're not. You're a sheep, just like me. And sheep will just wander off. That's why they need a shepherd. That's why they need someone protecting them. Because sheep will just be eaten up like that, man. And they fall over and they can't get up. It's just a mess. And he says, all of us have just done our own thing. Good intentions. Oh, I want to really honor God with my life. But we just all go our own way. And Isaiah says, and the Lord has laid upon him who... Jesus, the sins of us all. And so when he's describing to them, it's like starting to make sense, clarity. This was planned by God. They tell him, hey, Jesus, we want you to actually stay with us. You don't need to continue on. As Jesus opened the word, it was blowing their minds that the Christ had to suffer that the, the promise of the resurrection. Paul writes about it in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, for God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. They say, stay with us. Jesus opens their eyes as he opens the word. Their hearts were burning. They had an encounter with the living Christ as they uh, heard his word. And, and, then, and then Jesus vanishes from them. And they're like, man, we are seven miles away, but man, we need to tell the disciples. And so they run back that night because they were overwhelmed with this truth. And they said, Jesus is alive. Here's the second point of clarity that happened for them. Not only was it planned by God, but his death and resurrection, it was necessary for salvation. You and I couldn't be saved. There's no other way for us to be saved. Maybe you're here like I was many years ago thinking that as long as I tried hard to be good or to be gooder than some of my friends, English isn't my strong point, then that's going to be enough for God. I'm going to try to go to church. I'm going to try to live by the golden rule. People like me thought, well, I'm going to try to keep the Ten Commandments, and then you realize that we've all broken, if not the Ten Commandments by letter, we've broken the spirit of the Ten Commandments. Jesus tells us that in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, uh, letting us know in chapter 6 about that That you have heard it said, you shall not murder, but I tell you that if you have hate in your heart, that intention that causes murder, you've already committed and broken that command. Anyone have hate in their heart ever in your life? How many liars? Do I go to church with any liars today? There you go. Thank you. See, we've all broken God's commands. Every one of the ten commands we've broken. It's impossible for a human to be saved, to go to heaven. That's why Jesus had to die. And that's why Jesus said, was it not necessary? The angel said, these things must have happened, right, planned by God. These things are necessary, what, for humans to be saved. There's no other way for us to be saved. Jesus literally died as a substitute, is what Isaiah 53 tells us, that the Lord laid upon him the iniquity of all of us. All of our sin was laid upon him at the cross. Sin had to be paid for. And when Jesus was on the cross, he absorbed all the wrath that this world's sin, my sin and yours included, deserved. God is holy. God is just. The law demands... uh, you and I to live in a such a way, and we cannot live in that sort of a way, the Bible says, "For all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory." You know when you read through the law and you read through the Ten Commandments, certainly it's a great guide for us to live through life, but you know what it's pointing to us saying? You're a sinner. You've broken that command. And you go, "Man, I, I'm without hope until you hear about Jesus. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer? He paid for our sins. In fact, it's been said Jesus Christ paid a debt he did not owe because we owed a debt we could not pay. Was there not another way? Three nights before, Jesus was in the garden with his disciples. And Luke's gospel tells us he was sweating, as it were, drops of blood, letting us know that it was such a stress upon him that mixed with his sweat, capillaries in his head were breaking open because he was overwhelmed with what he was about to go through. Not just the wrath of humanity, nailing him to the cross, beating him with that uh, flagellum that basically ripped his back apart, but it was the wrath of God that he was going to absorb. And he prayed to the Father three times, Father, if it is possible, is what possible? Is it possible for human beings to be saved without me dying in their place? And then Jesus uttered these words. I'm so thankful he did. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. It was God's plan for him to die because it was necessary for human beings to be saved. The law cannot save you. You trying to be religious cannot save you. Your good intentions cannot save you. Nothing can make a person righteous before God. Human beings cannot save themselves. That's why Paul says, by the works of the law, no one is justified. We were separated from God because of our sin. And God laid on Jesus all of his wrath for sin. Because we've all broken his commands. That's why we say Jesus died for us. So there was that clarity. His death was necessary. Then there's the disciples back in Jerusalem. Look at these fraidy cats with me in verse 36. As they were talking, to- they were all big talkers too. A couple days before, Peter's like, Jesus, look at John. Look how scared he looks. I'm not leaving you, Jesus. And Jesus says, Peter, there's going to be a rooster that's going to crow a couple times tonight. You're going to deny me three times before that happens. Oh, no, no, no. All the other disciples like, no, 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 no. Peter, he'll be the first to run. They all ran. And now they're all all hunkered down, hiding, scared for what might happen. And so the guys ran back and they say, man, you will never believe what just happened. Verse 36, and as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them, and, they said, and he said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do you, doubts arise in your heart? See my hands and my feet, that it is myself. And, when, uh, and, and he said, Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, they showed him, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they were still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything to eat? And they said, we have a piece of filet fish from McDonald's and a piece of broiled fish. Man, those used to be so good, right, when we were little kids, but man, they're very bad for you. Jesus had steamed fish here and uh, gluten-free, and he says this. He ate that broiled fish, and he, he took it and he ate it before him. And they're like, oh my gosh, look at him, he's eating. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. That he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, notice this, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. And you are witnesses Of these things. So the disciples, they go back and they're sharing. And they're just like little kids, man. Like, oh, wait, wait, wait. remember when he said this? And the other one interrupts him, you know what I mean? And then all of a sudden Jesus shows up. And it's just like, close your mouths, disciples. They're all freaking out. They don't know. Is he a spirit? What's happening? Are we, you know, hallucinating? Jesus says, guys, it's me. He shows them his wrists where the nail imprint was. He shows them later on his side where that, that spear was thrust through his heart. They could see the crown of thorn marks on his head, his marks on his hand, his feet, his side, his head, his back. They could see all the scars. That's the only thing, by the way, in heaven that would be man-made. Will be the scars forever on the body of Jesus. It's the only thing that will be imperfect in heaven, by the way, is the scars that are on his body. And it will forever remind us of his incredible love that he would be willing to go through that. Jesus says to them, these things must be fulfilled. And their eyes and their minds were opened. He opens their minds. He gives them understanding. This is the meaning of the cross and resurrection. And by the way, he wants to do that for each and every one of us today. We know what he did. We know it was all planned by God. We know that it was actually necessary for us to be saved. But why? Why would God allow Jesus to go through all that suffering? Why would Jesus be willing to go through it? A verse that Joe shared earlier this morning in Ephesians chapter 2, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Here's what brings clarity to us. If you've ever doubted God's love, this moment His death and His resurrection and our minds being open to what the reasons why it had to happen, it brings clarity and it proves His love for us. Why would He go through that? Why would God allow this? As He beheld His scars, it will forever be on display, I love you. It was because of love. I think of that song, How Great, How Great, How Great is Your Love. It's a song that we sing here at RVC. I woke up this morning thinking about this as I'm wandering through this passage again, rereading it and getting ready to share it this morning at this service and the next and thinking to myself, God, it just blows me away that you would love me that much. It blows me away that he would love this world that much. And yet that's what he proves through his death and his resurrection. They looked at his scars and I wonder if they remembered back, gosh, remember when he was talking to Nicodemus, John chapter 3, and he's like, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, and that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but through him the world might be saved, through faith in Jesus. And they understood that to mean he's the Messiah, he's gonna hook us all up, he's gonna get rid of this Roman oppression. And now it makes sense. Oh, he gave his only son to die, to actually take my sin, to take the sins of this world. For God so loved the world that he gave his son ultimately to die. There's no more wondering. You Thinking to yourself, man, I just, I've made a lot of bad mistakes in my life. There's no sin too great that God cannot forgive. You might be a Christian here today thinking, man, I've just been blowing it. I've been messing up, and I just feel unworthy of God's love. We always have been unworthy of God's love. Before you had a chance to disobey God once, before you had a chance to ever actually like, do something good for God's kingdom, he already took care of your sin. Paul tells us in Romans 5, 8, uh, 5 uh, verse 6-8, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Every sin ever committed, I want you to think about that. Every murderer, every rapist, every liar, every cheater, every religious hypocrite, Every adulterer, every evil leader, and every human in this room has broken God's laws. Jesus took their place. He took my place. He took your place. All of us deserve God's wrath, and he did that because he loves us. Billy Graham, the late Billy Graham, he said this once, when God proved his love on the cross, when Christ hung and bled and died, it was God saying to the world, I love you. We said teach that to our kids when they were little, Actually, Tam found a resurrection eggs yesterday in the uh, garage. Did anyone have resurrection eggs? Kids would fight, you know, like, man, this is about the resurrection. Why are you guys fighting right now? You're all naughty. They wanted to open the cool ones, you know what I mean? Like, when they got the one with the gauze, they're like, ugh, why did I have to pick that one today? And thank God those times are over for us, but... uh, it was that, uh, what were we talking, you know what, this happens every Sunday, doesn't it? Man, I just want to apologize. If you're new here today, I just want you to know, I'm going to get better. It's going to be different next week. My three-year-old at the time, Austin, he used to say this. When he, he learned about Jesus and what Jesus did, he used to say this. This is how much God loves me. We say, is it this much, is it this much, and then he would stretch out his hands. God loves me this much, and then he died. And it's like, spoiler alert. He actually rose from the dead. And when you get to that last egg, it's empty. And you'll know Jesus is alive now. Thank God for those empty eggs, right? Confirming truth. It was the defining act of God's love. It, when it says God so loved, it doesn't mean he doesn't love you anymore. It doesn't mean he doesn't love this world. Is that there's no other act that he could actually define that incredible love. There's nothing else he could do. If you doubt God's love today, look back through the corridor of time and you see a bloody Savior hanging on a brutal cross And it is confirming his incredible love for you and his willingness to forgive sin. This last point of clarity that Jesus lets us know in verse 47, that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to everyone, every nation, every people group, every sinner, whatever category of sin you uh, are in. Everyone, that message of hope. That repentance and forgiveness is available now. Here's the clarity it brings. That God offers real life to all who come to him. As he mentions in verse 47, there's access to God now through faith in Jesus' death and resurrection. I love what John says at the end of his his book. In the Gospel of John, verse 31 of chapter 20, he says, but these things are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing or having faith in him, you will have life by the power of his name. Jesus went to the cross because God desires that every human being would be restored in relationship with him. Today we can be forgiven. Today we can have life. Let me remind you, Christians, that today you know and walk with God because of Jesus' death and resurrection. And all who come to him can actually have that hope or that life that John talks about. The message of repentance and forgiveness. What does that mean? Repentance means, God, I recognize my sin. Literally, that word to repent means to change direction. You and I are like sheep wandering our own direction, and to repent means to turn around and to go back in the direction of God where you might receive mercy and forgiveness and be restored into a life. And it's based on what Jesus did, not our own effort, not our own works. Not your ability to try to keep God's commands. Not your ability to try to actually go to church and be a decent person in this world. None of that can actually save you. It's only belief in Jesus Christ. And we might receive life. One part of life that we receive, eternal life that Jesus offers, is abundant life. It's like for here and now. You get to actually know and walk with God. You think about that relationship that happens when a person puts their faith in Him. The greatest part about being a Christian is actually to know God. It's to know that you can have wisdom from Him. It's to go to Him and find strength. When we have busted and broken hearts that we can actually receive comfort and love and wisdom for living. And by the way, power for living in this life. Being a follower of Christ, having life abundant now means that God uses the jacked up situations in our life for our benefit. Have you guys, anyone have any messes going on in your world or your life? Has anyone had like a, 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 like a, wow, I didn't actually plan that when I made my plans for 2019 happen yet? Isn't life a little crazy, a little nuts? And some of it's our own stupid fault, right? You're just like, oh man, this thing's going, going through right now? That's because I made this decision. But God even uses, according to Romans 8, He uses, all of the mess and circumstances that come from either decisions that we make or decisions that other people make, and he actually will use it for our good. That blows me away. That's life abundant now. There's forgiveness when I mess up, which is an ongoing process. And the penalty of my sin has been paid for, but so is the power. The sin has been broken. You actually have the ability to actually live at a higher level and have a fresh start where all things are new healing for broken areas of your life all because of that faith and that hope in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, but also life eternal. Life eternal. Jesus secured eternal redemption for every person who comes to him. One day my life will end, one day so will yours. And you can have the hope living here on earth that one day you'll spend eternity in heaven and it's all because Jesus died He rose again from the dead. That place where some of you lost loved ones that knew Christ this year, where there's that hope of no more pain, no more suffering, no more difficulty in life, all of it gone. No more tears, no more taxes, by the way. All because of hope in Jesus Christ, clarity, clarity, The resurrection account in Luke's gospel and the other gospels, we see it. Jesus' death and resurrection was planned by God. His death and resurrection was necessary so that human beings could be saved because he was a substitute on the cross. We call it the substitutionary death of Jesus in my place, in your place. Clarity, because it was God's love, that's why Jesus went to the cross. And here's this clarity, to offer us life based on our simple faith in him. We can all have access to God now because Jesus died and rose. All people can be saved. All people can have forgiveness. If you're you're a Christian this morning, you're a believer, you've believed, and here you are this morning coming to worship God. God, I just want to thank you for your death and your resurrection. I want you to to take this moment, this day, to, to rediscover once again, like, wow, Jesus, you did die. And because of your death and resurrection, I now have resurrection power so that I might live for you and live in a way that honors you. Maybe you are like the disciples where sort of that passion, that burning heart, the guys on the road, has sort of dissipated a little bit. And and, and, and the way that that comes back is getting back into God's word and beginning to live for him again because you are a follower of Jesus Christ. Don't settle in this life. Experience that resurrection power in your life each and every day if it's true that he rose from the dead, the only proper way to respond is to live your life and my life fully for the one who died and rose again for me. And maybe you've joined us this morning. Maybe you're a friend here this morning and you're here at church and you're just like, man, I want to discover like what is this all about. And you discover that going to church actually doesn't make you right with God. Church is filled with a bunch of sinners. You might even look around and just go like, wow, they're here? They might be looking around too and saying, wow, they're here? And then they look at me like, oh my gosh, the pastor's that guy? Okay. My kind of church. Listen, today you can experience that life and that hope and that forgiveness and his grace. As he came alongside those two disciples, he comes alongside of us and he knocks on the door of our heart. He confirms these things that are true. You start to realize like, wow, Maybe the thing that's missing from my life is a relationship with my creator. It is. He wants you to know him. And the barrier between you and God is not you trying harder, but you actually, what Jesus said, repentance and forgiveness. Saying, God, I acknowledge to you that I've broken your commands. And God, today I want to say, I want your forgiveness in my life. You need to recognize that he loves you, and 2,000 years ago, he went to the cross because he wanted you to have life. Jesus, and Easter, his resurrection begins to make sense, and you open your heart to him. As I read John 3, 16, for God so loved you, my friend, that he willingly sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross for your sins. And that whoever, whosoever, any person, doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are, doesn't matter what you've done, He says, whosoever believes of their faith looks to Jesus for salvation. He says, they will not perish, but they'll have eternal life. How does that happen? Well, you realize you're a sinner. You recognize that Jesus died on the cross for you. You choose to repent of your sin. You've been going this way. You're going to go this way now towards God. And you receive Jesus Christ into your life. Being a Christian is not merely believing some creed. This is what happened. Jesus died and he was God. It was planned by God. And, you know, all this religious, you know, doctrine. It's more than just a creed to actually proclaim. It's actually having Christ himself take up residence in our heart. He tells us in Revelation 3.20, uh, I stand outside. uh, I stand at the door knock stands at the door and knocks and it's a mental picture of standing outside the door of your heart in the hearts of humanity it says and if anyone opens up the door and hears my voice and opens the door I will come in and I will dine with them it was a, in that culture to eat with someone means fellowship and oneness and he stands at the door of our hearts and he knocks but you are the one that has to actually open up your heart actually receive him if you hear his voice he says and you open the door i will come in and he takes up residence in our life maybe this is their first easter like it's time to surrender your heart to the lord and he loves each and every one of you